Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. From struggle to success, we're covering it all. To our returning listeners, thank you so much for supporting the show. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews. You already know what to do. Tell a friend about the pod. For new listeners, welcome. I hope you enjoy. We have a great guest this week. If any of you also listen to the business of esports, you have heard her before in a wonderful episode that I highly recommend checking out as well. We have Anita Sharma, founder of Sharma Law, which specializes in entertainment, talent representation, intellectual property, digital media, production, legal, and corporate commercial law, which is a whole lot of uh, specialties, which is awesome. Anita, welcome to the show. To start, please feel free to introduce yourselves. Tell us a couple sentences about your background. Let the audience get to know you a little. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to be here. So thank you so much for inviting me, Lindsay. You did a great job sort of summing up the firm and um, all those different areas. So thank you for that. So um, like Lindsay said, my name's Anita Sharma. I'm an attorney and based out of New York City. Um, I'm an entertainment lawyer and have been doing this for about 20 years. So it's it's been a long time and, you know, started out in traditional, so to speak, film and TV, and we really turned our focus to digital in about 2013. So, you know, excited to speak to you about all things digital, gaming, the metaverse, NFTs, the whole works. Yes, I think that's going to be so much fun. Um, as I was sort of lamenting to you before the show, I in covering the metaverse, it's been very interesting um, because I don't really have a set definition for what it is, and I don't think anyone else does either. And of course, Facebook changing its name has shifted the conversation, but we will get to all of that. I'm excited to talk about it with you. I would love to start a little bit with your background in representing gaming and esports talent, what that looks like for you, what your motivations were in starting to represent those folks, um, and what it's just generally like to represent that type of content creator. Yeah. So my firm, we primarily represent talent and primarily in digital media. So a lot of influencers, digital content creators, and now gamers. And so we really started in the influencer space. And um, like I mentioned before, back in 2013, we were one of the first firms to really start representing influencers. And I also like to call them digital content creators because I feel like influencers just like turned into such a dirty word now. Mm -hmm. And people like think like it's just, you know, flaky people taking photos of of themselves all day on Instagram. Whereas our clients are actually creating like incredibly compelling, you know, content. Um, on the internet and on their social media platforms and elsewhere. And so um, I often use the term digital content creator. So, you know, we started back when I think people started to realize, I think it was around 2013 that, that social media and gaming um, were actually businesses and you could build businesses from them. And it wasn't just all about cat videos. It was like, you could actually create amazing content. And so, you know, in starting there and, getting to where we are today, you know, it was really last year that we started to turn our focus to gamers and esports, and really looking at that and saying, it's really a logical extension of our practice, right? You know, Mm -hmm. people are talking to us about Twitch all the time. We're looking at what's happening there. 
it's talent, you know, gamers are talent as well. And, you know, the first deal I did was, you know, for a gamer who was joining Phase Clan. And so that was kind of starting at the top, so to speak. That was incredibly interesting to me. And working mm-hmm. through that contract and seeing what was there. And, and so I think, you know, gamers are entertainers as well. And we like to represent entertainers and creative people. And so, again, it was just a logical extension of, of the practice, but also just an incredibly interesting world. Yeah, that's a really cool kind of way of transitioning into that. Um, I, and I can't believe that your first deal was a face clan member. Yeah. That's awesome. That is kind of, that is a very high level, very well-known place to start, um, which is awesome. Do you mainly, and you can let me know if you can't speak about this, but do you mainly do like team contracts and deals? Or are you looking at content creation or is it a mix of both or when specifically with these kind of gaming digital creators, what yeah. is the, what's your majority client look like? Yeah, sure. I can definitely speak to it. So we are doing all kinds of contracts. So ranging from doing brand and sponsorship deals to merch contracts and to some team contracts and to events, you know, um, so it's really like across the board, whatever legal need comes up for the gamer, the talent. Um, and we also do trademark work, for example, and a lot of gotcha. you know these um, gamers haven't thought about trademarking their handles and things like that. So mm-hmm. we advise on that, you know, in that area of IP. But yeah, basically we're general counsel to our clients, right? So anything that comes up legal wise that they need, we help with, and we work with their teams if they have a team, if they have an agent or a manager or both. Like we work, you know, within that team, and it's mm-hmm. really about helping, you know, gamers. Uh, build businesses and elevate their profiles and build their brands. And I think, you know, that's happening more and more now. Gaming has been around for a very long time, but I think it's only now. I feel like the gaming industry is where the influencer industry was in 2013. I feel like it's now starting to realize this is a business. Gamers are starting to understand. I need, you know, representation. I need help with contracts and are starting to, you know, that structure is starting Mm to, um, sort of be introduced to the gaming world. Ooh, I would love to ask you a little bit more about that. How, what has changed for the influencing industry between 2013, I think is when you said 2012, 2013, and now, and then how do you see that change or that those similar changes being incorporated into gaming? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really all about people realizing that social media is a platform on which they can build businesses. So they have their social media platforms, um, just like gamers would have Twitch, but they can actually do a whole bunch of other stuff, right? Built on that platform or built from that platform. So they could start to do merch. They can start to do, you know, content creation deals with other companies and obviously the sponsorship and brand deals. But I feel like now in the influencer world, even though it's still the wild west, don't get me wrong, but it's definitely, there's more agencies out there. There's more agents representing, you know, influencers, mm-hmm. managers, like all of the big agencies are obviously involved, CAA, WME, UTA, mm-hmm. E3, mm-hmm. everybody. And the same with, you know, they also have gaming divisions. So it's like these structures and these, you know, uh, people and represent- representatives are sort of coming on board now and are saying, look, let me help you because we see the potential here. And it's sort of, you know, becoming um, more streamlined and sort of more in line with like common business practices. Gotcha. That makes sense. And speaking of social media, what are the kind of crossovers that you see between 
your gaming influencers and your social media content producers or there's there's obviously a link between the two and we all know that at face value um but from your perspective what are the positives and negatives what does it mean for gaming to be moving more into this social media type of space i would love to just get your thoughts on on that kind of that the link between those two yeah i mean i think that i think it's all the same to be honest like twitch is a social Mm -hmm. media platform Mm -hmm. so it just happens to be the platform that most gamers are on right so but those gamers have followers people comment people you know watch in the same way that someone would watch, you know, an Instagram reel or, or scroll through somebody's Instagram page. So I don't, I don't see like a distinction there. I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, gamers are also social media personalities and they're just, the the platform is different, right? Because their platform is Twitch mainly. So it's, I don't necessarily see like a distinction between the two in, in terms of crossover. It's sort of like, you know, I think a lot of gamers don't have a presence on other platforms, but I do see that changing now. Right. I think it's yeah. um, as these gamers become more personalities and more sort of um, brands, you know, they become brands themselves. It's like they're venturing onto different platforms. And I'm, I'm definitely seeing that happening. I mean, in terms of negatives, it's sort of like, It's, you know, the negatives that you see with all the platforms and anyone, you know, putting themselves out there on any of these platforms is just, you know, the trolls, you know, racism, sexism. I mean, that stuff Mm -hmm. sadly has not gone away. I mean, and that's a huge negative because obviously we know on the internet, everybody's anonymous or you can be anonymous, I should say. You can definitely be anonymous. So it's, that's, that's an issue that sadly has not gone away. And I know a lot of gamers and especially female gamers and gamers of color, um, LGBTQ gamers have really, you know, suffered because of that. It's really unfortunate. Yeah, that's definitely, I mean, there's all kinds of policy and legislation being talked about with that. Unfortunately, I think it's just, there's no good kind of policy solution for that. Um, And I think big companies are trying to figure it out. And I would, I would really like to get kind of your opinion on what big companies are doing as well, because you talk about influencers moving cross-platform and doing all of that, there is still, and we've seen this, I'm mainly thinking about Dr. Disrespect here, um, who was banned from Twitch. And he then has had definitely a resurgence and a big following on other social media platforms. Um, But from a legal perspective, when you're thinking about your clients, how are you thinking about the power that platforms have of course, it's a First Amendment right for platforms to be able to keep and get rid of whomever they would like. Um, but are you kind of thinking about pushing clients to use multiple platforms in case there's some type of violation? It could be even a non-toxic type of violation. Um, are you thinking that it's it's good to kind of go all in with certain platforms that have better or clearer rules and restrictions? What are you thinking about the relationship between creators and platforms and kind of the power dynamic between the two. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of creators suffer from burnout for just creating on one platform, you know, or streaming on Mm -hmm. one platform. I mean, I think it's not really my place to tell a client like, Oh, you should be on three different platforms and be creating all this content. I mean, I think it really depends on the individual themselves, right. And how much content they want to create. I think that, in a way, we're lucky that there are platforms out there. If you do get kicked off one, you can go to another platform. Um, and hopefully you mm-hmm. were kicked off 
for the wrong reasons and not the right reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're kicked off for making like terrible, you know, remarks about people, et cetera, um, we don't necessarily want you on another platform. But I do think like Facebook gaming is aggressively going after gamers. YouTube gaming is aggressively going after gamers and trying to get them to sign on with them. So it's a good thing there's other platforms for sure. But again, like I wouldn't tell my clients that you need to be on a bunch of different platforms. I mean, it's just, it really is up to them. That makes sense. Yeah. I wasn't sure from, from your experience and from the people you've worked with, if it was, I don't know, better or worse to be on multiple, but the the burnout part is definitely real. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most of my clients are on more than one platform, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, at least two, if not three, but it it is like, you know, now TikTok obviously is huge and and the pressure to be there on TikTok. So, but it is, I mean, it's creating a ton of content constantly every single day. I mean, that's, that's tough. So I think that's, you know, something people are keeping in mind as they're thinking about all these different platforms. Well, and taking a step back to when creators are actually getting started, when do you recommend or when do you think, I don't recommend is the right word because I don't expect you to give free legal advice here, but at what level do you think creators and influencers should start bringing on legal support services? Or are you seeing that a lot of people maybe aren't bringing them on and, and winding up kind of regretting it or, or taking or moving backwards a little bit later? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what does that look like for content creators out there who may be listening? Yeah. I mean, this is a question I get asked so commonly and I feel like it's just the most popular question, especially for talent. So, I mean, it's sadly, we do often come in after the fact, right? So we'll come in Mm. because somebody has signed something and they're like, Mm. I signed this and I want to get out of it. What is this? And they're telling me, you know, they own all my content or whatever. So we do try to do some damage control there. I understand, you know, it's intimidating. It's intimidating to think about hiring a lawyer. People think they're going to be paying thousands and thousands of dollars in fees. And and I understand that. But at the same time, if you are serious about building a business, about elevating your brand and all those, you know, all that other great stuff, the second you have a contract in front of you, you should have an attorney review that contract. Because even the boilerplate, the legal boilerplate within it um, affects your rights and it imposes obligations on you. And because you're creating your own content as talent, it's so important to protect that, you know, and to make sure Mm -hmm. people just can't use it any way they want for like minimal compensation. So I would say, you know, when you get those, that first piece of paperwork, it would be good to like consult with somebody and, you know, get some help with it. And there will be upfront costs, but there's upfront costs to building a business, no matter what that business is. So it's just something to, you know, consider and, Hopefully, you know, you can find an attorney that can help and be affordable. But I do think it's really important. I I like that you brought up specifically signing contracts, because I think that's a very easy marker for a lot of people looking to get into the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so glad I could ask you the question that you've been asked 20 times already. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I definitely didn't mean it that way. I just mean there's obviously, no, yeah. it's on people's minds, you know, and it's so interesting, mm-hmm. to me, but um, I totally get it. Yeah. Well, speaking of things that are on the mind, um, a couple months ago, you wrote an opinion piece on Twitch and DMCA takedowns. We'll link to it in the show notes so that people can check it out. Um, 
if they want to read the whole thing. But for those of you that aren't familiar, I'm going to read a quick scenario that Anita actually wrote to describe a DMCA takedown. Um, if you don't know the acronym DMCA, please just Google it. <laughs> At this point, I almost feel like it's part of the vernacular because it's been around for a while. Um, but this, this scenario is that a Twitch user plays a third-party copyrighted song in the background while they stream. The copyright holder of the song finds out and sends Twitch a DMCA takedown notification, generally without warning to the alleged infringing Twitch user. Once the complaint has been verified, Twitch will remove the allegedly infringing content and issue a DMCA notice to take down the allegedly infringing Twitch user. So essentially it's people having their content removed for things like playing music in the background when they might not realize that's a copyright violation. Um, so in addition to this article, you've done more work on how this type of action from a platform to a content creator can be really damaging. I was wondering if you could speak more about how you handle these scenarios with your clients and what creators can do to protect themselves from having this happen to them. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's a really tough situation because, you know, Twitch in particular as a platform, I don't think has been helpful to its users at all. Um, Twitch is owned by Amazon. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable to me that Amazon has Amazon music and somehow there isn't some deal there that helps creators use music, you know, where there is a catalog mm -hmm. of music they can use that are current hits. Like we're not talking about, you know, stock music from um, decades ago. We're talking about That's such like, a good point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they have the ability. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm just speaking. I, I don't know what's going yeah. on behind the scenes mm -hmm. there, like how it works. But my point is from an outsider's perspective and as a lawyer who represents creators and talent and gamers, it's, it's, frustrating right because they should really be helping gamers use music be able to use music and the way that they do that is they make a deal with music companies and facebook has done that already and you know youtube has a deal with music companies so it's it's the bottom line is this if you cannot use third-party copyrighted content in your content and that includes music and mm -hmm. it's you know i always tell clients that you know i explain it this way how would you feel if somebody took some of your IP, something you created, whether it's a stream or a video or a photo, and just used it without any credit to you or any compensation to you or without reaching out to you, right? You would probably be kind of annoyed with that, right? You might not want, you might not say, well, you might not go after them legally, but it would be annoying. It would be like, that's your work, right? That they've just, they're using and they're right. getting commercially from. Mm -hmm. So I advise my clients not to use third-party music in their content and to be aware of that or any kind of third-party IP. And, you know, that's just the way it is. I think people think for some reason that the internet or, you know, the blockchain and these different things that IP laws don't apply. And, you know, for better or worse, they do. They do still apply. And so, you know, for me, the, the solution is for Twitch to make a deal um, with the labels and the music companies like other platforms have and, and help their uh, users, you know, um, access mm. music legally. Are there any kind of those systemic changes that you think would help creators in the future avoid this kind of infringement and also give, give credit to the people that they're using IP from as well? Um, so by systemic changes, you mean changes within the platforms themselves? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Changes within the platforms yeah. or within rules of use or 
yeah, it's, it's hard for me to, yeah, let's stick with those within the platforms. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, I mean, the only way that you could use somebody else's IP is if you have a license to use that. Right. Mm -hmm. Or like they've given you permission in some way or they've assigned rights to you or something like that. So it's there's really nothing like a platform can do in terms of its terms of use, except for, you know, obtain those licenses Mm -hmm. to allow users to use third party IP like music. And they're in a position to do that and they make billions of dollars and they're, they can do it. So I don't know what's preventing it from happening. Like I said, I'm not privy to any of those conversations or anything, but I'm very curious as to why it's not happening. And it's, again, coming from the talent side, it's infuriating because without the talent, there would be no channel, you know? So that's mm-hmm. kind of, uh, it's frustrating for sure. Yeah. Well, and you, you've spoken quite a bit about the talent side and about the creative process and how how you're really looking to support artists and you yourself have a pretty illustrious background in creative pursuits including producing films that have premiered at festivals and were picked up for distribution how has being in the creative process and your background in that helped you understand not only the games clients that you may bring on but some of the other digital creators that you're working with well, you're very kind, first of all, to call it illustrious. I don't know if I would call it that, but, uh, but thank you. How many people can say what the, that they've done anything in film production? You right. know, give yourself some credit. Yeah, I really <laughs> appreciate that. That's very kind of you. So we, so I've been practicing law for a while, for it would have been about eight or nine years, and I was sort of disillusioned a little bit, and I had, you know, done the big firm thing, and was just like not loving the law or being a lawyer. And so I was always interested in, you know, the creative process and working with creative people and producing. And so I went back to film school in Canada where I'm from and, you know, did this program called the Producers Lab, which was just amazing and life-changing, you know. And all of a sudden I was sitting on the other side of the table in the sense that I was the talent. You know, I was the creative Mm -hmm. person working with other creative people in order to produce film and film had always been my first love. So it was just such a dream come true, you know, and that was an amazing experience. And I think, you know, I I graduated from that program and I did, you know, the first short I produced, you know, premiered at the Toronto Film Festival, which was exciting and made its way around the world's different festivals and produced an indie feature that got picked up by E1. And that was all exciting and amazing. And I realized at the end of the day that I, didn't love being a hands-on producer on a daily basis. And I, but I really loved the business and legal aspect of creating things. And that was where Mm -hmm. my strength was and my passion was. And so, you know, I went back to law. I would, I would love to produce if I just had the bandwidth. It's so hard to sort of do everything. I'm hoping to get back Mm -hmm. to it because I, I I would love to executive produce, you know, so it's not Mm -hmm. hands-on producing every day, but putting projects together and stuff. I would love to get back to that, but you know, it's, it's helpful because first of all, you know, I understood what it felt to be vulnerable. You know, it's Mm -hmm. you're the lawyer, you're not vulnerable. Like you have all the answers. People are slightly intimidated by you. But in this case, I was putting myself on the other side of the table and really, you know, my ideas were under scrutiny. You know, I was getting feedback. It was when you're a creative, this is what happens. You know, people tell you about, Mm -hmm. you know, give you feedback on your content or your ideas. And, um, 
And I feel like that really gives me a great understanding of my clients and the passion to really advocate for them because I understood what it feels like and also how hard it is to create content. I mean, they all make it look so easy, but it's hard. It's difficult. It's Mm -hmm. especially good content and, um, and it should be rewarded. So, you know, having that experience just made me even more passionate for advocating for creative people and talent and, you know, I love what I do. I'm, I'm lucky that I'm somebody that comes to work and I love what I do every day. But that, that to me was really, besides learning the technical skills of how to create something, um, just being able to experience something in a different way, um, experiencing right. the entertainment business in a different way was just unbelievably um, rewarding and helpful to me in my legal career. I think the point that you make about people who are actually the digital creators to being subject to the most criticism and being in the most vulnerable position is one that I had not thought about before either. That's a really astute point to me um, because we often see an end product and we don't see the work that goes into it. And we don't think about what kind of criticisms we're giving when we uh, don't necessarily appreciate that work in the way that the creator intended. So I can, I can really appreciate that. Um, and I will look at digital media a little bit differently as a result. So thank you for that (laughs) and for sharing that experience. Um, I do want to pivot a little bit in our, in our last phone call, you talked about how you wanted to represent more women in the industry and how you set yourself. You, you have also already set yourself apart in that you're a creator or that you've experienced both sides, the, the on the ground experience of actually being a creator. Um, and a lot of the clients you represent are creators. So you can see it from both angles. What are the differences you saw both as a creator and now as representation for women in the industry? Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the reasons I was very interested in getting into gaming was because I was reading about all these female gamers that we're being abused online. We're not getting the recognition that they deserved. And that, you know, really made me angry. And I think as women, we have sadly experienced this a lot in no matter what industry you're in is, you know, always having to sort of work harder than your male counterparts or being mm-hmm. under, you know, an increased amount of scrutiny and, you know, being expected to sort of um, not self-promote and not show rooftops because that's not you know something that women should do um and so that you know i think it's improved slightly i think the the same problems that female creators face um like women just face in general all around whether you're a creator or you're somebody in business or you're an attorney i think it's you know there's the same problems that i just talked about so i'm not seeing a big difference there to be honest i think we, we as women, if we continue to try to elevate each other's voices, you know, if I can elevate female creative voices and female, you know, whenever talent signs on to me, like I always signs on with me, I always say to them, your success is our success, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. elevating each other. And that's, you know, that's definitely the case. And I'm really proud of my firm's roster. We're really diverse. We represent an incredible number of women who are doing amazing things, which I'm really proud of. And I will say this, you know, and I'll date myself a little bit here, but this whole Gen Z sort of uh, Gen Z situation or, you know, the Gen Z generation, so to speak, I will say that I think a lot of these young women are 
not only amazing, but actually, you know, mean what they say. When they say they want to work with other mm-hmm. women, they actually do. And I think that's mm-hmm. incredibly helpful. And I think that's something that has changed. I don't think, you know, not to diss my own generation, but I don't think there was that commitment there. Mm-hmm. And I see it with younger people. And I think it's amazing. I see a lot of young women that are like, I want to work with other women. And they do. And I think that's great. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be helpful um, to address some issues that sadly are still there today, whether you're a creator or a business person or attorney or whoever you are as a woman. I wonder if that's because there has been, and I, this is a, a phrase that I've used quite a bit on this podcast, but it certainly feels like there has been a shift from competition to collaboration. It's To me, it feels like when I was growing up, a lot of the women industry leaders and business people I had to look up to almost had to put other women down to secure their own spot in an industry you know, I'm not like other women. I'm one of the guys kind of, kind of thing to, to fit in. Right. And it feels as if that's going by the wayside. And it feels as if women are getting into positions of power and are saying, Hey, you know, I want to hire more women and give them the opportunity that I didn't have rather than ferociously hanging on to the opportunity for themselves. I don't know if that's the phenomenon you're describing. That's definitely my take on it. But it certainly feels we've become much more collaborative, which is something I really appreciate. I mean, I I 100% agree with that. And I think that a a large part of it is the internet, right? Because we're able Mm -hmm. to collaborate with each other very easily. You're able to connect with people easily. There aren't all these gatekeepers to go through where it's like, oh, I wish I could contact somebody at this company, this woman that seems really interesting and I'm interested in what she's doing. You can DM people now. You can reach them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the gatekeepers are gone. And I think the spirit of collaboration is definitely, it's a great way to put it. I love that you put it that way. I think it's definitely moved from competition to collaboration. And, but there's also more room for women now, right? There's more room for us in many different industries. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hopefully we continue to make these strides in this progress where it's like, it is, you know, half the female, you know, half the directors nominated for an Oscar are women. Like, I hope we can get Mm -hmm. there. We're not there, right? but I hope we can get there. So it's, and I do think it's moving in the right direction, but I do have a lot of faith in, you know, all of these young women who are doing amazing things, coming out of college, working with other women, uplifting their voices. And I'm seeing it for sure. And it's definitely a shift. That's so one of the things that we've been talking about on this podcast, in addition to that, has been the building of the metaverse and how one of my big things is I do not want the crypto bros to be the ones that are fully in charge of it. But I would love to get some of your thoughts on the metaverse, how your clients are exploring this idea. As we've talked about, I, I do think personally as well that Gen Z is a totally different take on it. You know, millennials, we're the we're considered the digital natives, but even for us, we haven't fully integrated our lives online in the way some of Gen Z has, particularly now that they are even having to do so much school online. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what are what kind of things are your clients exploring within the metaverse arena? And what has that been like for you representing digital artists and digital content creators? Yeah, so I think everybody sort of it's interesting at the beginning of 2022, everyone started to talk about the metaverse, right? So this was like, I feel mm-hmm. like in the last few weeks, to be honest. Yep. <laughs> and, 
right now I sense that people are sitting back and observing and waiting. You know, they mm-hmm. know that somehow they're going to have some presence in the metaverse. Um, you know, these social media platforms, like we talked earlier, you and I before the show about, you know, Facebook changing into meta. So mm-hmm. everyone's kind of, I think right now, sitting back and sort of waiting to see what happens because to be honest, like I feel like the metaverse is already here in, in the form of things like Fortnite, right? Like that mm-hmm. is, yeah. It, I'm not sure why everybody's like, oh, this is this crazy new thing when I think it's in, within the gaming industry. And this is where the gaming industry is particularly interesting to me. They're already there. And they're mm-hmm. already doing it. And, you know, Fortnite in particular is having concerts within the game, you know, live right. concerts. And that to me is really fascinating. And, and being somebody who loves entertainment and loves the business, I just, I saw gaming being having this incredible foresight and already doing things that nobody else was doing in that world. That that was another reason I wanted to be involved in it. But I do think, Right now, my clients are sort of waiting to see, like, what is this about? And so that they're ready when it's time to be part of that metaverse of whatever form that's going to take. Mm-hmm. I just don't think people know right now what the form is. But I can tell you yeah. when we're doing contracts now, you know, if, if we're talking about different platforms or exclusivity on different social media platforms, we are carving out the metaverse, meaning we're saying this does not include the metaverse, not even knowing what that is yet. But right. kind of reserving the right to figure it out when we get there instead of sort of handing rights over to something we don't even know what it is. Right. That's such an interesting way of including it without yeah, needing to define it. Cause you're you're absolutely right in that it's so undefined. And I would like to point out, as I have before, that this podcast was named before the announcement of Facebook changing its name. So <laughs> Either they copied us yeah, or exactly. it was some really, really wild timing for us. Well, there is some <laughs> um, company out there called Meta that I think they're fighting mm-hmm. trademarks or something. But yeah, I mean, Meta, I thought those were so funny. One. That's a tough one to trademark. I can tell you right now. I know. Ugh. We'll see what happens with that. As as someone who's also interested in digital art, one of the few kind of metaverse things that has that really exploded in 2021, I guess when we were all bored at home, um, was NFTs. Do you represent any clients getting into this space? Uh, how do you think about this as someone who wants to see art rewarded? What are your, what's your take on the NFT marketplace and landscape? Yeah, I love it. I, I think yeah? it's great. Yeah, I think it's great. I think that we do have clients that are getting into it who want to mint NFTs mm-hmm. and are, you know, we're helping, we're educating them on that process and different platforms like OpenSea and other platforms you can use and um, helping them do deals and hiring graphic designers, et cetera, to help them, you know, create the artwork and that they want to mint. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, look, NFT is really just a certificate. Uh, it's a digital certificate of ownership, you know, and it's, created on the Mm -hmm. blockchain and that tech that piece is not going away right so i think when Mm -hmm. when people talk about like oh like you bought a jpeg for three thousand dollars like are you an idiot like i don't that's not what it's about to be right like whether that person's an idiot or not is neither here nor there is the concept (laughs) of nft the token is not going anywhere 
And so right now mm-hmm. we're seeing it used in connection with digital art. And the mainstream media is picking up the people story that everybody knows, $69 million, you know, uh-huh. or the Board Ape Yacht Club. People know all about those and the celebrities buying those um, NFTs. But it's it's so much more than that. Like, I think you have to sort of look beyond all of what the mainstream media hypes up and look at it simply as a token. I mean, it's a tokenized asset. Mm-hmm. And so... If you just boil it down to that and the tech, I think it's really interesting. I think it's a a way for artists to, you know, control their their artwork and who gets to buy it and the different uses that they're granting to that artwork and also build communities around their artwork and be compensated for that. And that's really interesting and exciting to me. Like I'm not, you know, caught up in this NFT bubble and this and that. Like I, I have no idea whether somebody you know, the selling things for hundreds of millions of dollars is going to last. And that's not really my concern. I think, like I said, it's the tech that's more interesting to me and that's the idea of these tokenized assets. Right. That's a very well-rounded take that I don't think I've heard before. Because it, it seems like we either have people who are complete diehards or people who are, this is BS. Um, and and you're right in that there hasn't been a lot of people who are looking at the actual process behind yeah. it and what it what that could mean. Everyone is totally caught up in the surface level stuff. And I love that you pointed out community building as well, because that is a very powerful tool. And it's one that definitely has has taken off in conjunction with some of these sales, but that nobody's talked about. How well, many communities like that, have sprung up? Like the successful <laughs> NFT campaigns that you're not seeing on the news are the ones that mm-hmm. have built up these communities, right? And within those communities, people want to trade NFTs. They want to collect right. them of a, of a certain artist or certain artist. So like on a much smaller sort of micro scale, that's what I'm interested in because I think that's going to get bigger and that's going to be uh, more artists are going to get into that. I will say this though, there's definitely scammers out there. So the people that are like, this is BS, I understand the skepticism because there are scammers mm-hmm. out there. And a lot of people say, and I do think there's some truth to this. You do have a few big players involved who, for them, it's about raising the value of their crypto that they earn, that they own, right? And and have mm-hmm. a way to put value onto that crypto by buying these assets and then right. selling them for higher prices and keeping the, you know, keeping the price of crypto high, whatever that whatever version the crypto is in. I do think that that's happening, but I do think there's this whole other world underneath that, that where it's actually going to be very useful to like the little people, like, you know, you and I, like the average person who just is interested in digital art and, and tokenized Mm -hmm. assets. So, you know, there's, there's scammers everywhere, but you know, Mm -hmm. I, um, what can you do? But I think it's- well, I like that. Yeah, I like that nuanced take, though. And and you're right. There's problems within any industry. It's not it's not new to have issues in, in an industry and especially a tech industry, if we're being real. Yeah, <laughs> so I that's mean, completely look, understandable. I government. I do think because of the money laundering issues and stuff like that, with, mm-hmm. you know, I do think the government will get involved and then that'll be another you know, interesting development and we'll have to navigate that. And as attorneys, we'll have to know about it and help our clients navigate it. It will happen. It hasn't happened yet, but you know, 
it's it's an amazing world. It's evolving every day, but I would not write off NFTs at all. That's a good, yeah. I think that's a really good way of putting it. Um, I want to, before we move on to our last segment, I want to quickly summarize some of the things that we've talked about. I can't believe we've already been talking for almost 40 minutes now. It's gone by so quickly. Uh, we started with digital creators and how they have a wide array of skills. Gaming influencers, it's looking a, a lot like where social media was in 2013, as in it's social media and gaming platforms can be a place to start and build a business. Uh, social media and gaming are really the same industry. Uh, there's way too much overlap to draw a distinction. People on all platforms should be aware of how they're using third-party IP. One of the best things we talked about was how collaboration has become much more at the forefront of getting different people into the industry, particularly women. Um, I'm hoping that maybe that collaboration, not competition, also applies to some uh, different minority and other stakeholders. So we'll see where that goes, but at least being able to widely reach people and not having gatekeepers, being able to DM those people on LinkedIn and ask questions has helped women tremendously. I loved your take on the metaverse, that it's already here, that gaming has had incredible foresight on building the metaverse um, and what people they have, a lot of games have done what people haven't been doing. I also like that you said that you feel that there's a lot of observation going on and people are thinking about next steps and kind of seeing what's going on and learning the industry. We rounded out our discussion with NFTs, which had to be the, the buzzword of 2021, yes. but you had a very balanced and nuanced take, which is that the press kind of overhypes the artistic side and huge sales, but that there's a lot of opportunity for tokenized assets and for everyone to use them. Um, and I think that that's a great point. So the very last segment I like to do, I like to do with every guest on the show, it's kind of a moment for you to reflect on your career and think about how your career has changed over the years. So I would love to ask you, what is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the gaming industry or in your case, kind of the gaming and influencing industry and being successful? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think my younger self was pretty confident, maybe borderline cocky a little bit um, in terms of what I could accomplish in a short amount of time. I think, you know, the biggest thing is that it takes time. And I recognize that also with the gaming industry, you know, my firm, we do represent some amazing gamers, but, you know, we're just it's a new space for us and it will take time and, you know, it's important to develop relationships and, you know, talk to everybody and network. And, you know, I think it's really, I would tell my younger self, you know, don't think that you're going to be the preeminent gaming attorney, um, you know, in June of 2022, I would love if that would happen, but these things take time and it takes time to build up the roster. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, confident it can happen and we will continue to build our gaming practice. But, um, you know, to sound like a broken record, all of these things take time just to slow down and really uh, think about what we're doing and, and handle, you know, all of our matters with care, which we do. So yeah, that's, I think the biggest thing I would tell my younger self. I like that. Yeah. To, to, um, be patient. <laughs> exactly. Easier said than done. Yeah. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for coming on, Anita. I really appreciate it. If for our listeners out there who haven't checked out her interview on Business of Esports, I highly recommend that as well. It was a great episode. Where can people find you uh, if you want to be found? Well, sadly, I'm going to be the boring lawyer and just tell you I've found on LinkedIn because that is really the only platform that I'm active on. I, um, I I tell my clients, you know, they're like, well, you don't really, you know, you don't post on Instagram and stuff. I'm like, you know, you probably want your attorneys to maintain an air yeah. a little bit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> totally agree with that. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, people don't need to see all my personal life and, and every second of the day and what kind of sandwich I ate earlier. But I, yeah, it's uh, LinkedIn is definitely the best place. Got it. Well, send, send your law questions to Anita on LinkedIn <laughs> if you so have them. Um, for all of our listeners out there, make sure you leave those five-star ratings and reviews. Be sure to also check out other Holodeck Media podcasts, including Meta Business for all the metaverse finance stories you could ever want. And the aforementioned Business of Esports for interviews with industry leaders. You can catch me Wednesday nights on the Business of Esports live after show, so you can come in and ask me questions. And you can catch this podcast on your feed every Tuesday. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.